0: You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m., Tuesday, March 21st. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The California Report comes to Nevada City, devoting most of today's segment to the heroics of an EMT based at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital. Its story of a life-saving rescue during our recent storms will put you on the edge of your seat. KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker, has some predictions about how all this moisture will play out in the coming months. And we have a Money Matters commentary.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. The community of Allensworth in Tulare County is one of several in the Central Valley that's seen flooding due to the latest atmospheric river to hit California. The town is the first in the state to be founded and governed by African Americans and is now home to a largely Latino population. Residents were ordered to evacuate on Sunday as another atmospheric river is expected to hit California today. But many are staying put. That includes Coyote Kadara, and his family.
2: We have people right now, some of the people that are, that stayed, they're driving around. Each hour, somebody's going out to just check conditions and then report back to everybody. We have a, a joint text messaging system that we developed.
1: Kadara says residents have tried to set up barricades to stop the flow of water from coming into their town. That includes near BNSF train tracks.
2: We had over 20 men and women went out to our Uh, State Route 43, to try to plug some of the water that's flowing over the road through the bridges under the rail tracks into our community. Personnel from BNSF came out and removed all the stuff, the sandbags, the plywood that community members put out there.
1: But BNSF railway officials tell the California report residents were endangering the structural integrity of the tracks by using rocks that were being used as ballast. BNSF says residents took the wrong approach by going on their property and they'd like to work with the community on a better solution. But Kadara says the company has not returned his phone calls for a meeting. During past storms this year, washed-out roads and fallen trees have isolated many residents in rural communities. But that hasn't stopped emergency responders from rescuing people. KQED health correspondent Leslie McClurg has the story of a heroic paramedic in the Sierra foothills. Grass Valley with the test for Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada 102. Grass Valley clear 1113.
3: During a recent storm, Jessica Farmer started her shift at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital at noon.
4: We get our rigs started up, and at 12.05, the call went out for a possible heart attack, uh, severe chest pain.
3: The 36-year-old pulled her blonde hair back into a ponytail and zipped up her coat.
4: Grass Valley Medic Board responding. All right, where are we headed? Going on a go. call? Okay.
3: Farmer and her partner set out on slick, icy roads with snow pelting the windshield as they wound through deep forest to the top of a canyon.
4: And we got to an opening that had been basically where the snowplow had stopped.
3: The patient's house is still at least a mile ahead. So they continue driving, but there were many obstacles on the slushy road.
4: There were cars broken down. We had to help shovel, dig people out. There was multiple trees that we had to cut with chainsaws and throw heavy rounds off the hill.
3: Two hours later, they had barely covered a half mile, and Farmer realizes her toes are completely numb. I did not come down with snow pants, snow
4: socks, and so I get a little worried. Any other situation in life, I think I would have just given up at that point. Like, this is too hard, but this is a 911 call. This is a patient having a heart attack. I, you, you have to make this work. This is going to be the hardest day of your life, but you, ha- you have to work.
3: She receives a report from dispatch that the patient's pain is getting worse. So they forge ahead on foot, postholing through waist-deep snow, until finally a large house with a deck comes into view.
4: Seeing that house was just the most, like, just
3: pure happiness. They check the patient's heart. He's still breathing.
4: We then told the patient that the road was disastrous, that we had to walk him.
3: He then tells us that he has a broken hip. Farmer takes a deep breath and then immediately pulls off her wet socks, borrows a few dry pairs from the patient, and then wraps her feet in plastic bags and duct tape.
4: I went and found a tarp and a sled. It was like a little tiny sled, too. It was like a little kid's sled. Able to bundle him up like a burrito and pulled him out like a dog sled team.
3: Five hours later, they finally get back to the hospital. Farmer helps admit the patient to the ER. Unfortunately, he does survive. And she's just one of the healthcare workers who saved lives during the ferocious storm. That week, many of her colleagues slept at the hospital. And a doctor snowshoed over closed roads to care for a sick child who was trapped at home.
4: This feels like something you would celebrate, but then it's like, no,
3: you just kind of go back to on to the next day. She never had time to process what happened in the forest. Less than an hour later, another call came through. A 24-year-old man accidentally shot himself in the pelvis. Farmer's ambulance was back out in the storm on the icy road. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg in Nevada City.
1: Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 846 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2024 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. Our favorite ongoing tournament is down to the final four. And no, I don't mean March Madness. I'm talking about a bracket happening on Twitter, where thousands are voting for California's best city. 60 cities have been eliminated and the remaining contenders are Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco and Santa Cruz. But some people in the comments have been expressing disappointment that their hometowns were left out. Chico City Council member Addison Winslow says his city deserved to be included.
5: Chico is the regional metropolis for the northern Sacramento Valley. You have people moving from all these towns around in, into Chico. Um, it's a place that they have a center of employment, but it's also just a beautiful city surrounded by beautiful areas, so people love it.
1: To participate in the last two rounds of voting, go to Twitter at MNolan gray. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, March 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, During
0: a special meeting Monday morning, directors of the Rough and Ready Fire District voted to start the process of dissolving the district. This story comes from the reporting of Ubinet.com. The directors voted unanimously to approve a resolution that will set in motion several actions. For one, the district will continue discussions with the Penn Valley and Nevada County Consolidated Fire Districts to ensure fire coverage of the area. The district also resolved to ensure that residents and property owners are kept informed throughout the process of dissolution and subsequent reorganization. S.R. Jones, executive director of Nevada County LAFCO, the Local Area Formation Commission, emphasized that the resolution would touch off a long and structured process. She stressed that Monday's vote was not a dissolution, but that the board is applying to LAFCO for a dissolution. Jones said before any action is taken, LAFCO will examine the board's proposal, look at financing options, and hold a public hearing. She added that the commission is going to want to see a plan in place that will assure coverage, or at least a plan for winding down the liabilities of the district. The Rough and Ready directors announced that next week the district will brown out one additional shift. They will continue to work with neighboring districts to keep the district covered. The resolution includes an amendment to use the remaining funding to pay off the loan on the fire station. The directors have said they are determined to keep the station available for a future annexation. The Rough and Ready District will hold another public town hall on the process in April. Now here's your forecast from the National Weather Service. Expect showers, thunderstorms, gusty winds, and some mountain snow through Wednesday. Wednesday, Abnormally cool temperatures will extend through early next week, with the coolest temperatures expected over the weekend. More precipitation is expected next week. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, rain showers are likely before 2 a.m., then snow showers, possibly mixed with rain, and a low in the mid-30s. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. Southeast wind up to 13 miles per hour, with gusts up to 20 miles per hour, will become light after midnight. Wednesday, rain and snow showers are likely, turning to rain after 8 a.m. with a high of 48. Once again, little or no snow accumulation is expected. Wednesday night, a chance of showers and a low around 37. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, a winter weather advisory is in effect until 11 tonight with a chance of snow showers and thunder and a low around 20. New snow accumulation of less than one inch is possible. Wednesday, a chance of snow showers, then partly sunny with a high near 36. Wednesday night, a chance of snow showers and a low around 20. For Sacramento and Woodland, a wind advisory is in effect until 9 tonight with southeast winds up to 25 miles per hour and gusts up to 45 miles per hour expected in the Sacramento Valley and the Delta, winds are expected to decrease after midnight. Showers are likely with a low around 46. Wednesday, a chance of showers then becoming mostly sunny with a high near 57 and a low in the mid 40s. You're listening to the evening news on KVMR. Past years of California drought, followed by this winter of abundant rain and snow, are giving everybody weather whiplash, and that includes hydrologist Steve Baker. In this conversation with KVMR's Paul Emery, our resident water expert advises, enjoy the moisture, but be vigilant too.
5: This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Steve, we have um, all been experiencing this really extreme weather with rain and snow. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really wondering about this year's storms uh, and what they mean for us in California. How, how how can we look at this?
6: You know, first of all, we need to understand what has just happened to us, all right? And then we can look at the ramifications for more flooding, drought, fire, environmental habitats, okay? Okay, what just happened? Because there's so much water in the atmosphere, and that's because we have a slowly warming climate, It's everyone knows that, uh, there are these narrow bands of moisture in the atmosphere that have been crossing the Pacific. Okay, now these have been delivering an intensely focused water delivery to every, uh, th- through the end of this, what appears to be like a band. I. I, I envision it as, imagine a, a hose that's pointed at California and it's swinging around based on the winds. And we happen to be in front of it this year. And so California and the uh, western coast has, has always experienced these. You know, we call them atmospheric river storms now, but they were the pa- Pineapple Express. That's how it was expressed <laughs> in the past. But we're, we're experiencing these in a much greater rate and also intensity. So that's what we just went through. So,
5: Steve, uh, how do we, uh, we now sit with the snowpack? And oh, yeah. What is our future uh, as the snowpack melts? How is that going to affect
6: us? Yeah, yeah, good question. The uh, last report I saw on the snowpack was we're, we're almost, we're like practically 200% of the average accumulation that's fantastic and if you go down to Southern California look at the Mammoth area they're at almost 300 percent of the average so that's fantastic the runoff during melting has filled most of our reservoirs already and then some they're above 100 percent and we haven't seen that for quite a while I think everyone can attest to that and also it's a sort of a thank God moment for the Colorado River Basin this year. All those worst case scenarios that everyone's been uh, predicting regarding uh, uh, reaching such a low point in Lake Mead and is, is now not going to happen in the short term only. So, you know, the way I view it, they're gonna, that's going to give us a little more time to get our act together on dealing with the Colorado River issues. And just for those who don't realize it, uh, the Colorado River, it provides in the upper basin water for Utah, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Colorado. And then down here in the lower basin, it's California, Nevada, and Arizona. So a lot of states rely on the Colorado River. Now, flooding, it can go in two directions. If the snowpack melts slowly, then you know what? The minor, the flooding's going to be minor. And uh, that's what we would prefer to see. But if we get some of some sort of heat wave or some quickly rising temperatures, then look out because there'll be risks to a major flooding and that will go way up. Uh, the window for most of this activity begins today and will extend at least into May. So uh, be aware of possible flooding if we have a warm spell.
5: Well, with all that snowpack, uh, the soils must be saturated. Yeah. And uh, does the abundance of water mean a lower fire risk this summer and fall? Uh, How about that?
6: Not really. Not really. It's it's good for the higher elevations, I can tell you that. But the lower elevations, they're still going to get dried out during those California summer months. And so you're looking at uh, building, you know, the fuel load going up a lot of down trees from all the winds that blew trees over and and other debris from this year's storms and uh, and on top of that because of the moist soils we're going to have a lot more grasses growing and all that's fuel in the forest to start another forest fire once things dry out now let's keep in mind remember 2017 that was a whopper good water year of the century actually but subsequently to that, the years ahead, you know, it led to the most destructive fire seasons in the, in, in the century. So, so we, we want to be aware of that, and we want to be diligent. Wildfires destroyed over 10,000 structures in the state, uh, which was more than the prior nine years of that time.
5: Well, at least it means the trees will be healthier. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a the, big thing. No, I mean, absolutely. There's big, shearing now in our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, Steve, that all sounds like the environmental habitats are going to probably be hit in maybe a bad way.
6: Well, cuts both ways. Uh, Yes, rapid river
5: flows will scour
6: rivers and creek beds. That's for sure. And that destroys habitats and the life that lives there. But on the other hand, high flows also can help some of the fish like salmon travel upstream. And then there's the uh, additional benefit of nutrient loading uh, that can be enhanced um, all within parameters. And that would be a good thing as well. Now, water events usually have a way of tipping the scale in both directions. So, uh, just recognize, you know, if there's some good stuff, there may be some bad stuff as well. My read is, you know, enjoy the water that's been delivered to us so abundantly this year. And at the same time, be extra vigilant on preparing for wildfires this coming season. So, uh, it's just part of life here living in the foothills in the Sierra area. And um, and so being adaptive, being resourceful on how you're going about this, it's an art form, so let's get into the art <laughs> and make sure we enjoy everything and in, just intrigued with the circumstance
5: that we're in. Steve, nice to have you back. Thank you hey, very great much. great to be back. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co.
0: In the wake of the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, Mark Cuneberti casts his jaundiced eye on the entanglements that influence the banking system in today's Money Matters Commentary. <laughs>
7: Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunoverti. Ever since the news hit the wires that Silicon Valley Bank shuttered its doors, people have been filling my email inbox with questions about what it means to them at a grassroots level. It's a scary event to many and they have a right to be concerned. After all, who wants to wake up one morning and read their bank is closed and that you don't have access to your money? In a bank closure, it can be hours to days before regulators sort out the mess, at least enough to open the doors and turn on the ATM so you can withdraw your funds. For me, it's frustrating as I can't tell you how many times I've covered bank blowups and the promises by bank regulators they've fix the problem. Like how many times have we been told that, right? Have we have progressed along in the U.S. banking system over the years, the idea of an FDIC coverage for bank balances has morphed into somewhat of a joke. I can best explain this by saying the day after the Silicon Valley Bank folded, Secretary of the Treasury and ex-Federal Reserve Chief Janet Yellen went on national TV and said there would be no bank bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. When I saw that on the evening news, I yelled out, bullshit. In reality, we have arrived at a point in time when I can comfortably say the government is handcuffed when it comes to guaranteeing retail bank accounts over and above $250,000, the supposedly current FDIC limit. The reason is a simple one. When a bank goes under, people everywhere start thinking, what if my bank closed like Silicon Valley Bank did? Because of the way modern-day banking mechanisms work, banks only have to keep a certain percentage of deposits in cash or cash equivalents. This limit is called LCR, which stands for the Liquidity Coverage Ratio, and often referred to as excess reserves. Typically, this ratio is between 10 and 15 percent. Although banks are As to what they can buy with the reserve monies, which are your deposits, they can place these funds in a variety of assets and not all of them being as immediately liquid as holding a vault full of cash. These other assets allows the banks to make income on customer deposits. The banks also move money back and forth with other banks and the Federal Reserve, which acts like a grease for the financial system. This back and forth movement provides liquidity when and where needed to fund day-to-day operations and the monetary monetary demands of a very complex system. The problem becomes, however, if a lot of people run to their banks to withdraw funds, a bank may have to start selling assets to meet the increased demand. Some of the assets they may be forced to sell at a loss, and if the withdrawals keep coming, the losses can skyrocket. So goes the classic bank run. Just think the classic movie with Jimmy Stewart called It's a Wonderful Life. It details the problem succinctly. Then the dominoes can begin to fall as more people fearing their bank could fail run to their banks and close their accounts. With more demand comes more asset selling and more losses and more bank failures. On a larger scale, since the banks trade with each other, one bank failure can cause another bank failure. In conclusion, the modern-day financial system is massively intertwined and heavily invested. The Feds cannot afford to let even one bank fail, regardless of the FDIC limits, due to the contagion that might take hold if all involved are not made whole. They also must widely publicize that fact to stem off any fear that may arise in bank customers in general. This is not to say the government will always guarantee all bank failures, as who knows what they will do, and even if it's legal. But what we do know is that no one wants a repeat of the 2008 banking implosion. And right now, the whole mess looks awful familiar, doesn't it? I'm watching the market so you don't have to, and that does it for today's Money Matters. Remember, the newscast expresses my opinion only and is not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any securities, nor represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, advisor, nor this media outlet, its staff, members, or underwriters. I hold a BA in Economics with honors in 1979 in California Insurance License OL 34249, and I'm a Medicare agent approved in the- State of California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free, our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cronenberg.
0: That's our newscast for Tuesday, March 21st. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weeknight at 6. Remember to tune in to KVMR in case of emergency to get up-to-the-minute reports at the top of the hour or as news breaks. If you missed any of our newscasts or interviews, you can listen at kvMR.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.